if you if you what, your, keep your Bible still open, if you've got it open, it's page uh, one hundred six in your Bible, because I won't put up every single uh, part of the passage in my slides. Uh, the title this morning, as you can see there, is Jesus the King over Evil, and in this section of Mark's Gospel, we can see Jesus is strong, and he is not scared of evil and chaos that is afflicting this man's life through these evil spirits. And he's also compassionate and he wants to help this man when no one else can. And remember, of course, Jesus was a Jew and he has a history of reaching out. If you look in the Gospels, he's got a history of reaching out and helping those others who may, people may avoid for various reasons. Jesus sees the person inside rather than being put off by outward appearance and unusual behavior. But this man that Jesus helps, he's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He, and the strict religious Jews would avoid a Gentile because they felt that mixing with them would, would sort of sully them, would make them unclean before God. And this man is not named. He's unnamed. He lives among the graves among the tombs, among the dead. And the strict religious Jew would not go near a dead body, as again they felt it would make them unclean before God. And this unnamed man was not desirable. He must have looked a very sad sight, with the cuts from the stones on his body, from his self-harm. He must also had been very threatening to be near as he had great strength and he also cried out strangely. I wonder what he said. Now when, when you think about this, when I think about this, I wonder if most of us, if we honestly think about it, would quite naturally want to avoid a man like this. We would be scared of him. If he came up to us, we would more than likely try and get away from him somehow. But when he came to Jesus, Jesus who is the visible image of the invisible God. In other words, if you look at Jesus, you can see what God is like. Jesus didn't avoid him. Jesus didn't get away somehow. Jesus took charge and he helped this man. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, I pray that these words I speak will be helpful to us and will glorify your name and draw us closer to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, we're very aware of the power of storms, like in that picture, worldwide at the moment and locally in this country. They seem to be more common and more powerful now than they used to. Certainly, they're widely reported. They may be linked to climate change. And just before this account, in in Mark 4, which Nigel talked about last week, the man who had unclean... This account of the man who had unclean or evil spirits, Mark records Jesus calming a storm in Mark 4. Jesus is shown there having power over creation and the chaotic feel of storms, which you can see in that picture. And Jesus shows his credentials here as God incarnate, by calming this chaotic storm which threatens to engulf the boats he's in and the boats around as well. Uh, And they're travelling over this lake to this region of the Gerasenes. 
So Jesus brings calm from chaos on the Sea of Galilee. And if you, if you or as I told a storm to cease, you know, I think we'd be onto a loser. We'd be acting beyond our powers, wouldn't we, as human beings? Now, I did this earlier. Have you ever heard of King Canute? Put your hand up if you have. A lot of, quite a lot of people. There were more people in the first service, I have to say, who knew about King Canute. Well, King Canute, right, if you haven't heard of him, uh, I always thought he, he put his chair there on the side of the sea and arrogantly told the sea because he thought he was so important to, to stop and not go over him and the waves wouldn't come over him. But apparently it wasn't quite like that because they've discovered about 60 years after his death someone wrote this chronicle and um, according to the story, the, yes, the king did have his chair taken down like that and he ordered the waves not to break upon his land but then he said... When these orders were ignored and the, and the sea started coming over him, he said, let all the world know that the power of kings is empty and worthless and there is no king worthy of the name save him by whose will heaven and earth and sea obey eternal laws. And so here I think uh, Canute when he says the king worthy of the name, I think he's referring to Jesus, the king of kings. Um, and, and he may have been thinking, in fact, of this passage we, we had in Mark 4, Jesus calming the storm when he said it. Je- Jesus, uh, he realizes, is the one who's king of kings, who's got the power over the creation. But I also think he hints that he's also got the power over the world, over the nations as well. And the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus shows he's God in calming this chaotic storm. And we and King Canute obviously can't do the same. Now I wonder if it's helpful if for us as we may be facing storms and chaos in life. I don't know what your week's been like. I don't know what your life is like at the moment. It might, might be a bit stormy and chaotic. I don't know. Life can be like that sometimes, can't it? You get blown around by circumstances. I don't know if it feels like that. Certainly the worldwide political scene seems a lot like that, and our local one seems a lot like that at the moment, and the climate too seems pretty stormy and chaotic at the moment. Well, I would encourage you to hang on to Jesus in that, in that situation. But now we come to this personal account of Mark 5 of storm and chaos, but they're afflicting this man. It's like he's got his own personal storm and chaos. This man who lives among the tombs cries out, cuts himself, and has great strength. As I said, I suspect most of us are trying to avoid him. He's banished there to live among the tombs, and, but he lives in the Decapolis, the Decapolis, which means ten cities. It says, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And as I said, the area Jesus came to on that now calm water after the storm was called the Decapolis, which means ten cities. It's on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Can you see it there? It's sort of in the middle. Um, It's in the east side of the Sea of Galilee. It rises up to the Golan Heights, and it's 
mainly what we would call Jordan today. And the cities were Greek or Greco-Roman, not Jewish. They weren't Jewish. So Jesus was in an area which was not Jewish but Gentile. He went beyond his own people, the Jews, to help Gentiles. That is non-Jews, and that's probably most of us sitting here today. You may be Jewish if you're here today, but most of us probably aren't. So Jesus is reaching out to everyone here, no matter what their cultural or ethnic background, in going to the Decapolis. So no matter what our cultural and ethnic background is this morning, as we sit here, this is a reminder that Jesus reaches out to all of us. No one's excluded. And when this man comes towards him, Jesus doesn't do what many of us might do, which is try and avoid him. Instead, he sees immediately the man's problem is a spiritual one, and it's to do with this evil, impure spirit. He sees the person inside, the ravaged, cut, bedraggled, I would assume thin and emaciated man too, probably, and he wants to help him. He sees the person inside, and he tells the spirit to come out, and then finds that this their name is Legion, as they speak through the man. Now, I think it's really important to notice here that the evil spirits know they have no choice other than to come out of the man, which Jesus, as God's son, the king over evil, is telling them to do. They have to come out. They have to do what Jesus says. They have to obey Jesus. The only negotiation that occurs is where they will go, and and they go into this 2,000-strong herd of pigs, and then the evil spirits bring about destruction of the pigs. So here, Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God, demonstrates that he not only has power over creation in calming the storm, but also power over evil in commanding the spirits to leave this man who was so afflicted. Jesus is the king over evil. But in this healing, there's something that that, uh, King Canute hinted at as well, I think. In this healing of the man, Mark may also be hinting at Jesus' power over the nations, particularly the Roman occupiers in planet Palestine and most of the world at the time. The evil spirits, remember, called themselves legion, legion, for there were many and each, a legion was a, a part of the Roman army. Each lo- Roman legion was made up of 5,000 soldiers. In the years leading up to Jesus' birth, the Roman legions came in and they took over in Palestine uh, and they took over here as well, as, and as far away as Egypt. They took over in a bu- brutal, violent, organized and uncompromising way. A bit like those evil spirits took over this poor man and then called themselves legion. But most people on reading this or hearing of this incident at the time, apart from those who collaborated with the Romans, like the tax collectors, they saw the invading Roman legions as the enemy, the adversary, as Satan incarnate. They would like the Roman legions to be pushed back into the sea as the herd of pigs were drowned in the sea. They'd like to get rid of the Romans. So I wonder if that's a bit of an echo of what's going on, the symbolism of what's going on here too, that Jesus is, uh, is, is over the nations as well as over uh, evil, the king. 
And as an aside, I wonder if also it has echoes of the Exodus when the Israelites were rescued from uh, Egypt uh, as slaves, when God rescued them, the parting of the Red Sea, and then the, the sea came back over the Egyptian army and they were drowned. So maybe there's an echo of that in there as well. Have a think about that, see what you think. But I think the point I want to make is that this incident may have had a symbolic resonance for the people who heard about it, who were dominated by the Romans. And it shows Jesus has power over even the invading, brutal force of Rome and her legions. And today, when many of us are concerned, feeling helpless and uncertain in, in these politically termy, term, termulous... Is there such a word? I've just invented it. Termulous times... Look that up. I don't know if it's in a dictionary somewhere. But, you know, I I talk to a lot of people. You think of our country, you think of Hong Kong, you think of Kashmir. With the threat of climate change too, a lot of people feel very unsettled. Jesus uh, comes to us and reminds us that he has power over evil, he has power over creation, and he has power over the nations. Even in these apparent chaotic and uncertain times. Like a firm rock in a stormy sea. I kind of hold on to that picture in my head when I, when I worry about things that are going on. And I believe Jesus is also in control if we're personally feeling our lives a bit chaotic and uncertain at the moment. Um, even if sometimes it doesn't feel like he is, he is, he is, trust him, he is. Now, I, I didn't become a Christian until I was 23, and before that, I'm still pretty stupid, but before that I was even more stupid, and I was a teenager. And um, I did some pretty stupid things. And one of the things I did was I got mm, involved in the occult. And um, one of the results of that was that I, I developed an overwhelming fear of the dark. It was more than normal fear, which is natural. It's, it was like overwhelming. I was really, really scared. It was much worse. Um, and Jesus healed me when I realised what was going on, and I realised it was linked with the occult stuff, through two people simply prayed for me, and he, he gave me such peace and healing. It was great. And I'm very, very thankful, even after all this time. And we can see how grateful this man was uh, in this passage, because he, he wanted to go off with Jesus. He wanted to stick with the person who'd healed him and sorted him out. But Jesus said, no, go, go back and tell others what I've done for you. And so off he did, and he went and told them his story. So I would encourage you, even though all our problems may not disappear overnight, we have Jesus the rock in all the storms of life with us. Let's trust him. Now, let's look at how we might respond to this passage. We can see Jesus often comes to those who may fi- uh, we all may find difficult or want to avoid. The local people had tried to subdue this man, but in the end had left him outside the town or village, chained up among the dead in the tombs, cutting himself, self-harming. And that reminds me a bit of the way we used to treat people with mental health problems or uh, with learning difficulties in past times. They were often chained or locked up. And I think we may all have a hesitance about getting involved with people who can appear a bit unusual or, or frightening. But here we see Jesus involved and in control. He doesn't avoid this outwardly unattractive man. 
who's dragged down not just by the chains but by the evil afflicting him. I believe Jesus looks inside this man and he sees his potential like he looks at all of us here sitting here now. He looks inside us, he sees our potential. He loves him and he heals him. He demonstrates loving his neighbour in action, in healing this man. And I I worked with uh, children, young people who have severe learning difficulties or were on the autistic spectrum for many years. And when I first started in the 1980s, um, you know, we used to say, oh, it's good to go out to go to a cafe with a group of students. It's good practice to get them to use those skills. Um, and, but more experienced staff would say, well, but you better ring first, you know, because you want to check that you might, you, you'll get a friendly welcome when you get there because they might not, might be a bit thrown by you coming in with these students with learning difficulties. We wouldn't do that now. Fortunately, things have improved. People don't see that, that label uh, in quite the same way, by and large. Things have improved. And I hope more people are trying to look at that person inside and not label them as someone with a learning difficulty or someone with mental health problems, but trying to look at the person inside. I think Jesus calls us to do the same. When we meet someone we may find different or a bit threatening, we can try to see that person inside instead of labelling that person and avoiding them. And if that person needs any help, we can give it, like Jesus gave this man. Jesus shows us how to love our neighbour here. Another thing to remember, this is a simple point, but I think it needs remaking, is that Jesus is interested in all of us, Jews and the rest Gentiles. And the man possessed became the first missionary, if you like, to the rest of the world, the non-Jews. If we know our Bible, we all tend to think of Paul and maybe Barnabas as the people who went out and they went to the rest of the world as missionaries. But this unnamed man, we don't know his name, who we could easily miss in the Bible, was the first missionary to the rest of the world that we hear of in the Scriptures. Now, please argue with me, if you like, afterwards. If you can find someone else, tell me. But all all Jesus asked this man to do, and we don't even know his name, was is to tell what the Lord had done for him, to his people in his area, in the Decapolis, in his hometown, in his daily life. Just tell people what I've done for you. Because Jesus is interested in us, and he, he, he feels we're vitally important. So I, I want to say to you, in your mind, do you think today, tomorrow, that we're really important to Jesus, to God, to God's kingdom? Do you realize how important you are? Jesus chose this man to be possibly the first to tell the Gentiles about him. The man was in a terrible way. Jesus sorted him out, as we've seen. He was healed. And after his healing, Jesus said to him, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away, began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So we don't know the man's name, but he had such an important job to do in telling others what Jesus had done for him in his home area, the Decapolis. So it's the same for us when we go to work, see our family, whatever we do in our home area. And I know I've said it before, but I think it's a good reminder because I I kind of, over the summer you kind of drift off and you don't focus that much on God as much. That's what I've found in some ways. And I think we need reminding that it's vital we grasp 
how important we are in encouraging others to come to Jesus and helping others um, in practical ways, as Jesus did. Although we might be uncomfortable with some people we meet and might feel wary of them, we are vitally important because we know, we, only we know the people we know. Only we know the people we know. I've got a circle of people I mix with, and my circle is not the same as yours. I've got a family who I mix with. My family is not the same as yours. We are the only people who have our particular contacts, and God has a job for us in helping them and in telling them what God has done for us, what the Lord has done for us. Only we know the people we know. And that's who we're sent to every day. But notice the other element of Jesus' comment to the man. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. And it was fairly obvious to this man, delivered from these evil spirits, the tormented life that he'd had before. It was an obvious change, wasn't it? It was very obvious what Jesus had done for him. He's now clothed, he's in his right mind. It's marvellous. He's restored, he's made well, he's changed. He knew what to tell. He knew what to be thankful for. So in a moment, I want to have a bit of silence. And I want us to think, take a few moments to reflect on all that God has done for us. And to thank him for it, if we're people here this morning who are trying to follow Jesus. We all have different stories. But if we don't reflect on, our, on what God's done for us and how thankful we are for it, then we haven't got a story to tell. Our story may not be as dramatic as this man's story, I would expect. But our stories are just as important. So in a moment, if you're someone who follows Jesus, do that. But if we're not yet a person who tries to follow Jesus, then maybe in this brief silence in a moment, just think about things you're thankful for in life. And maybe think about this Jesus, this Jesus who I'm saying has got power over creation, who's got power over evil. Who's got power over the nations? What's that all about? What is this man? Who is this man? What do you make of him? Think about that. And maybe there's a kind of thing we can think about also that's foreshadowed in this passage that we can all think about in that silence in a moment. Um, It's to do with the cross and what Jesus did there because Jesus was naked on the cross like this man who was possessed, stripped naked of his clothes. Jesus was bound cruelly on the cross. He was bound to it, like that man was bound with chains. And Jesus went to die on that cross, so our sins could be dealt with, and evil permanently defeated. Just as he cast out the evil spirits into the herd of pigs, he's overcome evil in the world and the sin and suffering that afflicts us all. So in that silence, in a moment, let's reflect on that as well and be grateful to God for all he's done for us. Let's have a moment's silence. I'll just pray. Lord, we thank you for your great goodness to us. And we pray, Lord, you'll bring to mind now in this silence all that you've done for us. Help us to thank you for it. So Lord, we thank you that you are good to us and you have mercy on us.
Help us to share that story and love our neighbour as you do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.